Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Often what we plan to do with our one wild and precious life can look very different from what we're actually doing. We're looking ahead to our next meal or to our evenings out. We get caught up in the office drama or in national politics or in the upcoming holiday sales. And we're doing what we can to get those quick little dopamine hits that our brain craves through social media or video games or binge-watching Yellowstone. We drink just a little too much or eat just for the amusement. We can get distracted by the cares of today. It can be easy to say, I'll get back on track. But for right now, for these next couple of days, I just need to survive. But those days turn into weeks, and those weeks into years. Before we know it, our one wild and precious life can slip away from us. But Advent is a wake-up call. How have you been living your life? Who have you been hanging around with? What have you been prioritizing this year? I'll give you a hint. Check your calendar and your bank account. They will tell you everything you need to know about where your focus is at the moment. Advent is the time to reflect on just how we have been doing when it comes to living into God's will. It's a time to snap us out of our complacency. It's a time to reset our priorities and set goals, especially for our spiritual life. This is not to earn our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection has already paid that price. But this is because being a disciple demands that you use your one wild and precious life to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do the will of God. But no one knows the day or the hour when we will be called to account for our lives. Our time on this earth is limited, and Advent is the season to grow close to God. Now is the time to sweep away the cobwebs in your heart, to read your Bible, and to talk to God daily. Now is the time to embrace our mortality and to prepare for our eternal life. When you come to stand before our Heavenly Father, when all of our petty day-to-day cares are wiped away, when all of the mental gymnastics that we do to justify our actions here on earth are suddenly insufficient. When God asks you how you lived your one wild and precious life, what will you say? I read 1984 as a teenager and was convinced this is how an evil force such as a totalitarian government would take over a people. It would keep its citizens under constant surveillance, pumping their homes full of propaganda until they were convinced that two plus two equals five. But as an adult, I realized that sometimes evil comes into our lives in more subtle ways. And sometimes we can even be happy about it. 
In the dystopian novel Brave New World, written before the novel 1984, people are not oppressed by an authoritarian government, but rather kept content. From birth, they are conditioned to be happy people, people who are fed a steady diet of hedonism through casual sex, intense movie experiences, and a drug called Soma, which allows for folks to avoid feeling any negative emotions whatsoever. Death, pain, sorrow are removed from society. No one forms lasting relationships. Everyone performs the job they are given based on their birth without complaint. Evil has taken their free will, and the people willingly go along. Only a few of the citizens wake up and try to fight for their own autonomy. In our own lives, we are much more likely to find that we have grown away from God, that we have lost sight of his will for us, that we can no longer hear his voice through all the noise, rather than to be forced to do evil by some nefarious force. We are more likely to slowly become too busy to come to church, or too self-absorbed to see Christ in our neighbor, or too distracted by our everyday life to really feel that distance growing between us and God. Sin, separation from God, apathy creeps into our lives in a brave new world fashion. If a frog is put into a pot of boiling water, the frog will immediately jump out. But if the water is gradually heated under the frog, it will not realize it's being boiled until it's too late. Which is why Advent is such an important season for us as Christians. We are preparing for the threefold coming of Christ. His incarnation as a baby boy to Mary. His second coming at the end of this world. And especially for his coming into our hearts each and every day. When Paul tells us to turn away from the desires of the flesh, when he speaks against reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy, he is not telling us that if we do these behaviors, we will burn in hell. Jesus has paid for our salvation. But Paul knows that as a Christian, as someone who wants Jesus to live in our hearts, that these behaviors are incompatible with Jesus and his message. We do not have to earn our salvation, but in response to the sacrifice Jesus did make for us, and gratitude for his grace, and in order to live our one wild and precious life in a way that pleases God, we have to turn aside from the things that might make us feel good right now, but will only lead to pain later. And Advent is the time to figure out what those behaviors might be in your own life. Every December in the secular world, most of us look back at the past year and decide where we want the next year to take us. Most of us think about resolutions and goals for the upcoming year. Advent is no different. Advent is a whole season 
dedicated to examining our hearts and our priorities, looking at where we put in our work, and asking God to help us discern his call for our lives. From there, we make resolutions about how we are going to continue living our lives as Christians. Are you feeling lonely or distant from God or your neighbors? Are you feeling envy or jealousy creep into your heart? Do you just feel lost as to where God wants you to be right now? Now is the time to sit with that. Advent is a time for us to ask ourselves and to ask God as we sit in holiday traffic for the next light parade or as we change the sheets on the guest bed for yet another family member. Are we preparing for the coming of Christ? Or are we so caught up in the feasting and the drinking and the worry that we completely miss the point? Silence is something we don't find in our culture much. When we're at home, we often turn on the TV or the sounds of family permeate our house. When we're in the car, we have the radio or podcasts. Sometimes we can feel a bit like the Grinch as we're surrounded by the noise of jing tinglers, flu flubers, tartinkers, hoo-hoobas, and garginkas. That is the beauty of our church of having a sacred space that is set apart from the world. That is the beauty of our liturgy, which makes room for for waiting, for anticipation, for breath. And that is the beauty of Advent. For four weeks, we have time set aside where we are expected to get silent. For some of you, that means getting up early or staying up late. For others, it will mean commuting in silence. But start with finding just five minutes a day in your life to examine your hearts and to eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ. Don't keep hitting the snooze button. Don't put the pillow over your head. Wake up. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, and he's going to want to know what you did with your one wild and precious life. Amen.